if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here at Friendship Church, and I get to fill in for Pastor Kenny today and give the message in our epic poetry series. Speaking of Pastor Kenny, you guys have something you want to share? Uh, he, he may or may not have shared with you that a couple of weeks ago, uh, he found out that his second oldest son, Josiah, and his wife are pregnant. Yeah. How about that? And this is why this is important. I believe that most of you regularly address him as Pastor Kenny next week when he is back here. It would thrill his heart if every one of you were to address him as Grandpa Kenny when he's back. It would thrill his I know it would thrill my heart if every one of you only addressed him as Grandpa Kenny when he's back next week. Speaking of uh, terrific, last week we had a chance to gather at the home of the Lutzes and we had 18 people get baptized from age 8 to age 70-something. I didn't ask. Yeah. And it was beautiful as one person after another proclaimed, Jesus has saved me, he is my Lord, and we got to celebrate that last week. It was a wonderful time of celebration. And today, we get to celebrate our God in Psalm 19. C.S. Lewis said about Psalm 19, I believe it to be the greatest poem in the book of Psalms. That's high praise. Whether you agree with him or not, that's up to you. But that's at least one English professor's opinion of this particular poem found in Psalm 19. And it is a poem that is entirely about God communicating with us, God speaking to us. In my 25 years as a pastor, I have had many conversations with people in which they have said to me, I wish God would speak to me. I would just love to hear from God. And Psalm 19 declares to us, God is always speaking to you. He, he never stops speaking to you and to the world. And Psalm 19 is going to say, He speaks to us in two primary ways. God speaks to us through the sky, verses 1 through 6, through the stars, through His creation. And then verses 7 through 11, God speaks to us through the Scripture. Let's start with the first half, God's proclamation to us through the sky. The opening verses say the heavens declare, the skies proclaim, they pour out speech, they reveal the voices of the sky and the stars go on and on. Verse 3 wants you to understand, okay, we're not talking about literal words here, right? As you read verse 3, it says, not literal words, people. But as we look at the creation and meditate on what God has made and look to the skies, we hear about Him. And what is it that the skies teach us about God? Well, let's start with this. The skies proclaim His power, majesty, and enormity. The skies proclaim God's power, majesty, and enormity. Two weeks ago, I was in Bozeman, Montana, and my son took me on a hike to the highest peak around Bozeman. It was a 17-mile hike, and we changed elevation about 6,000 feet in the process. It was 94 degrees in Bozeman that day, but we were scrambling through the snow in order to get to the peak. It was beautiful and a wonderful time with my son. Now, what if we finished our 17 miles 
And the next day, we kept going in a straight line for 17 more miles. And the next day, in a straight line for 17 more miles. And we went all the way around the earth in a straight line. Okay, you're going to have to imagine that we can hike across oceans and through all sorts of things and that we wouldn't stop for delicious food along the way. But, right, as we're hiking 17 miles a day, how many days would it take us in order to make it around the world one time? It would take us about four and a half years at that rate to hike around our planet one time because we live on a really big planet. You start driving across North Dakota and you're like, wow, this is a really big, big planet. Well, big and boring are two different things, but you get the idea, right? Really big planet that we live on. But it's tiny and minuscule when you compare it to the sun that makes its way through the sky every day. How many Earths can you fit inside the sun? You can fit 1.3 million Earths inside the sun. If you shrunk the universe down so that the Earth was the size of this foosball, right, the sun would be more than 15 feet in diameter. Right? That's larger than I can get up on this screen, 15 feet. Because it's enormous. And our sun is a fairly small star among the stars. You look up into the night sky, one of the stars that you see is Canis Major. You compare Canis Major to the sun, and I can't even get most of Canis Major on the screen and still have the sun, which is 1.3 million Earths you can fit in the sun. In order to get the sun on the screen in a way you can see it, I can't even get most of Canis Major on the screen. If you got into an airplane, traveling at 600 miles per hour, and began to fly continuously around Canis Major. Do you know how long it would take you to get around? 2,000 years it would take you to fly around. Or put another way, if the earth was the size of my foosball, Canis Major would be the size of Mount Everest. You can fit seven quadrillion earths into Canis Major. Now, I don't know about you but I don't deal with numbers like quadrillion a lot when I'm balancing my checkbook. <laughs> Those kinds of numbers, trillions, quadrillion, they get lost on me a little bit. So to give you a sense of how much seven quadrillion is, if you were to take these foosballs and begin to line them up across the state of Minnesota, I want you to think for a minute about how big the state of Minnesota is. Your trips up to Eveleth or down to Worthington or wherever you've gone, think about the size of the state of Minnesota. If you were to start to cover it in foosballs, seven quadrillion foosballs would cover the state of Minnesota seven feet high. Think about that, a seven-foot-high ball pit the size of the state of Minnesota. How much fun would that be? Seven quadrillion, and that's how many Earths you can fit inside of Canis Major. And it is one of billions of stars in its galaxy, which is one of hundreds of millions of galaxies within our universe. And Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 says that God measures all of that universe within the hollow of his hand which is a poetic way of saying as big and unimaginably large as the creation and all of the universe is, our God is so much greater and so much bigger. And so as we look at all that is around us, we are amazed at His power, majesty, and enormity. 
But that isn't all that amazes us as we look to the sky. The skies also proclaim God's brilliance and creativity. We're overwhelmed by the brilliance and creativity of God when we get outside of the city lights and just look up into the skies and experience that beauty, all that God has made. Or when we sit and enjoy and appreciate an amazing sunset, we're overwhelmed by the beauty and the brilliance and the creativity of God. Or when we see pictures that are sent back to us from satellites of other galaxies with more stars than our own galaxy that are in these beautiful, epic shapes so that they're gorgeous and stunning. We're overwhelmed by the brilliance and creativity of our God. Or when we pause and we think about the astrophysical constants that God has put in place, all of which are very exactly and finely tuned so that life can exist within the universe. We're told by scientists that among these astrophysical constants, if any of them varied even to the slightest degree, life would not be possible, not just on the earth, but anywhere within the universe. And as we look at that, we're overwhelmed at this great designer who has put this design in place. And we're not the only ones. Sir Martin Rees, astronomer royal of Great Britain, professor of cosmology and astrophysics at Cambridge University, says, wherever physicists look, they see examples of fine-tuning. Stephen Hawking, physicist and cosmetologist at the University of Cambridge, says, the remarkable fact is that the value of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. Sir Fred Hoyle, astronomer at Cambridge University, a common-sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a superintellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology and that there are no blind forces worth speaking about in nature. The numbers one calculates from the facts seem to me to be overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. Owen Gingrich, astronomer at Harvard University and the Smithsonian Astrophysical Observatory, says, There are six numbers that describe our physical world, whose precise values are essential for a life-bearing universe. Tweak them only slightly, and our universe would be devoid of life. These and other very sensitively set numbers are what we refer to as fine-tuning. We have to be very pleased about this situation. Yeah, because we're alive. Right? We have to be very pleased about this situation since our existence depends on it. Is the universe declaring something? That makes many of my physicist friends very nervous. They don't like the idea of a supercalculating intellect tinkering with the universe. And yet that is precisely what we see is an epic amount of design and intricacy in all that God has made. Because when we look at the heavens, when we look at His creation, we're overwhelmed by His brilliance and His creativity. But again, that's not all that we see about our God. The skies also proclaim His kindness and His joy. Do you, do you remember what Michael read in verses 5 and 6? If you look at it, it says this, In them, that, that is the heavens, the stars, in them He has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun comes out and provides warmth and life. How often? Right? Every day it makes its circuit, doesn't it? It only makes its circuit when people are good on the earth? Uh, no. 
It makes its circuit every day because our God in his faithfulness has chosen to generously and graciously give us the warmth of the sun and the life that comes from it each and every day. Is it only for those who trust in him and obey him? No, because he's gracious and merciful and has showered all of humanity with this amazing blessing. And it is a reminder to us of the kindness and the goodness and the daily graciousness of our God. The poetic image that is used here is of a bridegroom leaving their tent in order to make their way to the actual wedding ceremony. Right? Is that a time of joy? In this society, they would have been carried there by friends and family with music and celebration going on all around them as they made their way. It would have been an enormous party as the bridegroom made their way in order to go to that wedding ceremony. And here the psalmist says, this is like the pathway of the sun, a daily joy for people to remind them that the maker is a God of ultimate and infinite joy. Our God is a God of great kindness and joy. He speaks to us about himself through his creation. And so, in order to apply this, let's understand God wants to speak to you through what he's made. So go outside and be in awe of him in, in a few minutes, okay? <laughs> go outside and be in awe of him. This is not the lecture where I tell you, oh, kids spend too much time on devices and they need to get outside for their health. That's a good lecture for a different time. No, this is the lecture where we say God made everything that exists and he's designed it to speak to us about who he actually is, and we have to go outside in order to see it and be in awe of him. Psalm 19 doesn't say, the heavens declare the glory of the heavens. As Christians, we're never to stop at being in awe of the creation. As awe-inspiring as it is, we are, also, we are always to take the next step and be in awe of the creator because of the creation. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord. When I was a little guy, my dad would take my sister and I out, and we would just sleep in the backyard. We lived fairly far away from any town, and so we could go out in the backyard and see all kinds of stars. Didn't sleep in a tent, just out under the stars. And because I didn't like going to sleep at night, my dad found himself awake, talking to me about all that we saw. He knew the constellations and would point out the various constellations, and he'd talk about how far away certain things were and, and what, was, what was certain distances and how big they were, all of this kind of stuff. And he would always point it back to the one who made it all. Right? What was my dad doing during this time? What he was doing was family devotions. Right? Now, we, we may not think of family devotions like that, because we may think of some family having to sit in a circle or something like that during family devotions. But that's precisely what he was doing. He was teaching me about what God says about himself from the creation that he has made. And I need this, because so often the problems and challenges that I face in life, they get right in front of my eyes, right here, and I begin to think things like, how am I going to get through this? I don't have what it takes to get through this. How is this going to end up in a way that is good? Ah! Anyone else? And one of the things I need in that moment is to get outside 
and be in awe of God and all that he has made and all that he has designed and recognize that he brings that to bear on my life and the things that I face. The same God who made Canis Major is the one who wants to walk with me through the challenges I face in life. The same God who made the billions of stars in our galaxy is the same one who said he can bring my salvation to completion. The same God who designed the astrophysical constants of our universe is the same God who says, I will work all things together for good for those who love me and are called according to my purpose. Can he get it done? I need to walk outside and be in awe and say, yes, yes, he can. Absolutely. Let's spend some time outside just in awe of our God. God speaks to us about who he is through his creation, through the sky. Look up. But that isn't the only place that God speaks to us according to Psalm 19. God speaks to us about himself through the sky, but he speaks more thoroughly and more completely through the scriptures. Right? He speaks through the sky, but he speaks more thoroughly and completely through the scriptures. As a matter of fact, we might say we can know about God through the sky, all those characteristics, but we can know more about God through the scriptures, and we can only know God personally through the message of the scriptures. Right? So we can know about God from the sky, we can know more about God, I would say far more about God through the scriptures, and we can only know God personally and be in relationship with Him through the message of the scriptures. And we can know about God and we can have relationship with Him through the Scriptures because it's His Word. Did you notice that pattern in verses 7, 8, and 9? Look at that. The law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the rules of the Lord. This is the Word of the Lord. Do you get the pattern? Right? Who, does, who, does, who, do, who do these writings belong to? Who do they come from? They're from the Lord. Right? They're the Lord's writings and they come from Him. And because of that, there is nothing in the world that can benefit us in the same way that time with God in the Scriptures can. Look at, as we break these lines down from verses 7 through 9, every one of them starts with a different description for God's Word. And then there is a characteristic that relates to the Word, right? It's perfect, it's sure, it's right, it's pure. And then there are, and this is what I want you to focus on, the benefits that come from meeting with God in His Word. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. It is righteous and righteousness altogether. It has great benefits. I've tried to summarize these benefits in three quick statements. First, the Scriptures are what have the message that saves us. You may have received that message through a person, but the origin of that message is what God has given us in the Scriptures. It revives our soul. Look at 2 Timothy 3.5. Paul says to Timothy, And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What is it that makes us wise for salvation? It's the Word of God. The message from the Word of God is what makes us wise for salvation. Recently, we moved my parents, and I see some of you who helped with that move, from St. Cloud to Prior Lake. And when we moved them out of their place in St. Cloud, they had a grill that wasn't worth moving. It leaned. It was rusted. 
May the Lord bless it and keep it. We did not move it. And so when my dad's birthday came along in July, my wife and I bought them a new little grill for their new place in Prior Lake. And the real gift was I put it together. Right? That, that was the real gift. I opened up the box and said, nope, nope, I'm going to take care of this for you. And in that box, there were instructions about how to put that grill together. You want to know how to put that grill together? Those instructions have the information that you need. Now, my parents' house is filled with all kinds of other information. They've got map books from their trips to Israel that has information in it. They've got novels by Alistair MacLean that have information in it. They've got those Time Life books on the Old West they ordered when I was six that I couldn't get enough of when I was a little kid. All kinds of information in their house. But if you want to understand how to put that grill together and be wise to put that grill together, there's only one place to go. And those are the instructions that came with the grill. Right? In the same way, there's all kinds of information in our world. Some of it's great information. Some of it's terrible and horrific information. But if you want the information that makes us wise for salvation, that's only found one place, and that's within the message of the Scriptures. Just a quick thumbnail of that information. It's only in the Scriptures that we find the very bad news from which we need to be saved, that we're dead in our sins, that we're enemies of a perfectly holy and loving God because of our sin, that we're so broken that we can't do good works in order to make it all better. But it's also within the message of the Scriptures that we find the infinitely good news that God loves us, that this gracious love of God sent His Son to die for us while we were still sinners, that salvation can be found only through the death and resurrection of the God-man, Jesus Christ, and that our salvation isn't found in working hard at being good, but instead in the gracious work of our God and faith in Christ Jesus. It is the Scriptures that make us wise for salvation. But that's not all they do. Yes, they have the message that saves us. They also have the message that enlightens us. The Bible doesn't just give us the message that teaches us how to be saved. It gives us the message about how to live saved. It doesn't just teach us about how to be forgiven from our wrongdoing. It gives us the message about how to live in right doing. It teaches us those things which are right and are pleasing to God. I, we see this in all areas of our life. I think of it particularly this morning in how the Bible has impacted my life as a husband and what it means to treat my wife appropriately. If I didn't have the Scriptures and was living according to the world's way of thinking that I am one of many species of animal upon this planet. Yes, high on the food chain. But that ultimately, my only destiny is to continue the species and experience pleasure, and that there is nothing waiting beyond when I die. How am I going to treat marriage within that framework? I'm going to use it and dispose of it. But God's Word teaches us a very different way to approach marriage, doesn't it? It teaches us that our marriages are an actual reflection of Christ's relationship with His church. And that as a husband, I am to love my wife generously and sacrificially, Ephesians 5. 
that I am to honor her and exalt her, 1 Peter 3, that I'm to speak words that lift her up and never tear her down, Ephesians 4.29, and on and on we could go. This is just one little slice of life. But in every slice of life, it's the Scriptures that enlighten us and illuminate us as to how God would have us live. It doesn't just teach us how to be forgiven from our wrong, it teaches us how to live out what is right. And third and finally, it's in the Scriptures that we find the message that overjoys us. What is the big picture message of the Scriptures? That God loves me and made me to be in His image. That despite the fact that I'm sinful and disobedient and have chosen to walk away, He loves me so much that He sent His Son so that I could be redeemed, made new, brought into His family. I'm now an adopted member of the family of God and I gain an inheritance that will be with God and all that is good forever. Is there better news than that? And it brings a joy in every moment and in every situation. Even when those hard and challenging things are right here in front of my eyes. When I dig into the scriptures, I'm pulled back. I gain a greater eternal perspective, a greater perspective of what God is doing. And I have joy even in the midst of challenge and hardship. It has the message that overjoys us. And because this is the Word of God, where we get a chance to meet with God and gain all those benefits that come from meeting with God, we crave it. We crave the Scriptures. If we're God's children, we crave the food that He has for us. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned in keeping them. There is great reward." It's in the scriptures that we know more about God and know God more. Is there anything better than that? Is more gold or more money better than that? More people liking you better than that? More accomplishments better than that? Right? No, 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 no. There's nothing better than that. Knowing God more and being with Him more in His Word. And so we crave it. One of my favorite things over the last 12 months was when we started core discipleship right here on Monday nights and people came and they'd been promised that there was going to be some homework. But when they came, they discovered there was more homework than had been promised. The person who'd advertised it said there might be like an hour of homework and and people found, wait a minute, this is taking me longer than an hour. I I see a few of you, right, who were like, yes, Matt, longer than an hour. You lied to us. Well, not intentionally. Hey, and stop your whining. Did you have to write it? Come on now, people. In, In the midst of all of that, what I also experienced were a number of people who approached me and said, this is taking me a lot longer and I can't tell you how worth it it is can't tell you how much I am appreciating the time I'm getting to meet with God in His Word and spend with Him in His Word. Because as His children, we crave it. We love being with Him in His Word. And when we are, we experience the glory and the majesty of God, the perfection of His Word and His commandments. It does a work in our life. All right? As we close, look at this three-pronged work that the psalmist says goes on in our life when we come face-to-face with the glory and majesty and holiness of God. First of all, when we see God's glory, we're overwhelmed by our sin. We see God's glory and majesty and holiness, and we go, oh boy, I fall really short of that. 
the closer we get to the light, the more of the dirt we see on us. And we see those presumptuous sins, those things which are clear and evident, but we also become aware, oh man, there's a lot of hidden sins that I'm not even aware of going on in my life, Lord. But as those who are His children, we never stop with a sense of the sin. We always push on. When we see God's glory, we then desire forgiveness and freedom from our sins. Declare me innocent, God. Forgive me. And don't let these sins have dominion over me. And so we want that forgiveness. And as His children, we recognize and revel in the fact that we've received it. Because of your work, God, I shall be blameless and innocent in my transgressions. Amen and amen because of what Jesus has done. We are declared innocent and blameless in our transgressions. And we desire righteousness and holiness because of God's Spirit's work in our life. That's what we experience every time we come to the table. We come before the majesty of God and the love of Jesus, and we're overwhelmed by our own sin. But then we're reminded of how much greater the work of Jesus is and His grace than our sin. And that because of what He's done, we're now counted blameless. Because of what He's done, we now want righteousness in our life. Psalm 19, as those on this side of the cross and the resurrection, reminds us of Jesus. He is the light of the world, greater than the stars and the sun that shine in the sky. He is the bridegroom who has come out of his tent in order to bring joy to all of his people. He is the word of God, pure and right and true, who declares perfectly about God and make salvation for his people. And so we can't read about the light, the bridegroom, the word in Psalm 19 without thinking of Jesus' declarations that he is these things for us and the salvation that he's made on our behalf. We're going to enter into a time of taking the Lord's Supper now that represents Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. I want to encourage you to keep these things in mind, the majesty of our God, your sinfulness in light of his greatness, but then his great mercy and grace that is greater than your sin. Let's continue to worship God in song, and when your heart is ready, make your way to the tables and you can get the bread and the cup and return to your seat and all lead us in taking those elements in just a few minutes.